Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Thomas Boff. I'm the editor of WolvesBlog.com. That means, unfortunately, I am a Wolverhampton Wanderers supporter. Um, yeah, you can get us, obviously, on the website at WolvesBlog.com or Twitter at WolvesBlog or Facebook.com forward slash WolvesBlog. Hi, get us a wheel in from the Jackass podcast. Not a Premier League fan, but a Swansea City fan. Uh, and uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Gitto.Sawillin. Yeah, great having you back on, Thomas. Gitto, great having you on after a while. Hopefully, we can change that Premier League thing this season, a request that I have made the past several years and have been roundly ignored. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully things turn around there for Swansea soon uh but yeah I just wanted to start off the show by talking a little bit about the fact that we are now in the World Cup break there's now this huge uh stoppage in the middle of the season which we'll get to the effects of that and if it's diminishing our joy in a little bit but for now we're at this natural stopping point it leads to some interesting statistics not to be a hater just because I'm a Tottenham fan but hearing things like Arsenal are going to be first at the Christmas break for the first time since X when they're stopping uh you know about a month before Christmas is a little uh interesting and, and uh dubious statistically speaking but uh nevertheless Arsenal do currently sit top is that the team that has uh, most impressed you up until this stopping point, or is there somebody else that you think uh, you, you've been really impressed by in this first air quotes half of the season? Yeah, it's hard to look beyond Arsenal. You know, they're five points ahead, I think, now at the top of the Premier League. They've come through tests. Um, you know, they haven't played Man City yet, I don't believe, but they've they've seen off Liverpool. They, they won at Stamford Bridge. Even last night against Wolves, you know, Wolves parked the bus five at the back, four, you know, across the midfield, very little intent to um, go after the game. Is all hoping we could sort of catch Arsenal out. So they're sort of answering questions as the week goes by, weeks go by. And, and you know, they're, they're so well positioned now to really attack, the, you know, the, the rest of the season. You would expect they would probably enter the market in January to try and bolster their position, bring in a couple of players to, to flesh out the squad. Um, so yeah, I mean they they've been outstanding. I think if I was going to pick someone else, I would I would give a, a shout out to Brighton. Um, again, from experience, they were they were outstanding at Molyneux um, the other week in beating us. I know they had a poor result today against Aston Villa, um, but I've been impressed with Brighton. The continuity they they've managed to have post Potter leaving for Chelsea uh, has been impressive. They've looked good in a lot of their games. I was just impressed with their general patterns of play against Wolves. Um, and I think they can feel good about the their prospects for the remainder of the season if they keep 
you know, they keep the nucleus of that team together and they keep just doing what they're doing. Um, I think they could be they could be pushing the you know the top seven, which would be you know get the best finish they've probably ever had. Um, so yeah, so those, those would be the teams I would highlight. I mean, there are others. It's quite it's quite tight, isn't it, around the sort of middle top middle parts. Leicester are coming good now. Um, they they might have eyes on on you know continuing to climb, and rightly so. We always felt they were in a poor you know false position at the bottom. Villa have had three and four since you know one three out of four since. Gerard left. So there are all kinds of teams you could pick out, but um, but yeah, I think it's hard to look beyond beyond Arsenal if you if you're singling it down to one side. I'm going to go for Newcastle as the team that surprised me. I know they have all, everybody knows they've got the money and the dubious Saudi links, but I, I still feel like third in the table is quite the overachievement. I think the squad they've got isn't one that many people would have picked for for a top four, uh, in my opinion. And you look back at their results, at the start of the season, they were getting a lot of draws, but now they've really, really found their, their winning touch. Um, everything seems to be clicking into place. They, they've, they've only lost once all season, which is pretty remarkable, really. And I, uh, you know, I, I think Eddie Howe has to take a lot of the credit for that. As much as we can look at the money and the and the improvements that have definitely been made in the squad, um, I, I don't think there's any doubt that he's had a massive impact on on their success. He's, um, I mean, you just need to look at someone like Miguel Almiron, who's always been kind of a lovable player and and a kind of player that you like to watch when he's on on his day, and he has these moments, but hasn't really managed to make that emphatic impact in the Premier League that maybe people expected him to make when he first arrived. And suddenly you're looking at him and thinking he's one of the best attacking players in, in the division. Um, and that, that's that's not just a fluke. That, that's down to good coaching and good man management. And I think down the years, Eddie Howe, as much, I, I think it's, it's just symptomatic of the modern era and social media, etc. There's somebody like Eddie Howe, you were either one side or the other when it came to the debate. You either thought he was an amazing manager who was, you know, should have been the next England coach and um, should be managing in the Champions League, etc. Or you thought he was a, a total fraud and that, you know, Bournemouth had spent way more money than everybody expected and he should have been doing better there. And there was nobody in the middle who just seemed to say, yeah, he's a really good manager, you know. <laughs> um, but I think since going to Newcastle, I think he's proven to those who did think he was a fraud and did think that, you know, there was nothing to him, that actually, yeah, he he is a very, very good manager who is capable of um, managing a very um, successful team to be, in my opinion, better, better than the sum of their part. And I think third, a third place finish at this stage for Newcastle is quite the achievement. Yeah, I think two excellent picks there. And I was kind of wondering what the converse is. Like, which teams do you think are set up particularly well for the second half uh, of the season? Again, in air quotes, but but after this World Cup break. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's the same. It's the same, same answer, really, isn't it? I mean, Arsenal is set up perfectly, um, clear at the top. They don't seem to have too many issues within that squad to resolve. I don't even think they've got any injuries, have they, really, or major ones at the moment. Um, so, I mean, they're, they're perfectly set there to, to carry on doing what they've been doing to build on it. Um, I, I think every team is, is you know, on, 
on paper at the moment, they might think they're in a good position, but the World Cup is going to be a big change, isn't it? It's that some teams are going to profit from it and some teams are going to get badly hit because there's going to be injuries. Um, there's going to be fatigue, you know, and, and that's going to hit people very differently. So that will be the interesting to, thing to see because even a, a team that looked very well set at the moment um, could, could have a massive struggle when they come back. I mean, I said, as obviously speaking from a Wolves perspective, I don't think the break suits anyone more than it suits us because obviously we're having a torrid time. Mm. It looks like we're going to lose every game. But, you know, we've got a manager in now and a good coach, big name anyway, really, in, in Europe, European football. Um, you know, and he, he can work with the players in this break and hopefully we can come back better. So there's there's no argument to say that actually... For anyone, it benefits the team at the bottom rather than the team at the top. Um, so maybe selfishly, I, I would probably say Wolves is the answer to the question because um, you know that's we're we're the most in need of the break. Therefore, we're probably best set to take advantage of it. That's a good point. Um, I hadn't really thought about that, but it, but it is true. I think if you're in a bad run of form right now, you're probably thinking, oh gosh, good four weeks off or five six weeks off just to kind of rest the rest some weary muscles and get away from it all before you come back. There is another way of looking at it. You can look at it and say, oh, it's if you've had a bad result this weekend, then that, that's a long time to stew on that result. And a lot, I mean, if you're an Everton fan right now, the next month is going to be difficult because you've just lost 3-0 to Bournemouth. You're sitting just above the relegation zone. You know, you're not looking forward to the return. Whereas I'm looking at teams like Leicester, possibly Aston Villa by now as well, and you're thinking... Well, they they're gonna they can't wait to get back at the end of uh, December. They absolutely can't wait for this World Cup to be over so they can get back and hopefully return to winning ways. It's been quite an inconvenient break for those teams, but I, I do look at Leicester and think there's potential there to um, to to really go on the second half of the season, climb the table. Um, they're the ones in that mid table bunch who I think are most capable of putting together a really consistent run of results that just sees them climb the table and get into the top half, maybe even um, challenge for the European spots if, if things go well um, for them, uh, which is weird to say considering the start of the season they had, but they just seem to have clicked. Um, and the bad luck they had seems to have gone away and they just found their rhythm again. Um, so I'd, I'd say they probably will more than anybody else. I'd, I'd look actually at a team like Liverpool and say, you know, that they're, they're a team that have had a, a really bad first half of the season and it just looks like a bit of tiredness, a bit of fatigue has, has worn in there. Um, but you you just think if they've got a nice little break now to just get away from it all, um, they've got Salah not going to the World Cup, which is quite a boost for them. He can hopefully, you know, have a break and come back in the second half of the season fully fit and firing. Um, and, and they... You know, they, they they then have a chance to make up the gap to the top uh, the top four. They they are seven points off, but they've got a game in hand on Spurs. And you just know that Liverpool are the kind of team who, when they get a run going, you know, they 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 can just keep on winning and winning and winning. And I just think they probably uh, of the teams outside the top four looking to break into it, the ones to to look out for more than anybody else. I just worry for Man United, even though I think Ten Hag is doing an underrated job there personally, um, considering the the challenge that faced him at the start of the season. Um, 
I just wonder if the fitness is there in that in that squad to keep going for the entire season, and if they've if they've really got what it takes to to last the distance. Um, so I I I back Liverpool above them to challenge for the top four. Gotcha. You you're mentioning Salah there. Just made me think of a, a follow up question, which is: Do you think the players that are going to get a rest are going to have advantage because they won't be as tired, but also won't have as played in meaningful game action as recently? Or do you think the players that are able to just kind of like keep the pattern of, of training and playing going will have the advantage coming out of the World Cup? It depends, but I think for I, I, for, for, I think there's way more of a risk if you are um, going out to the World Cup, and it, especially if you're going into the final stages of the World Cup. I don't think it's going to be an issue if you go to the World Cup and exit in the group stage or the last 16, but if you get to the semifinals and to the final... Um, that that's going to take an emotional toll as well as a physical toll. And then you expect it to just go straight back into um, club football. I, th- I think it's it, it's a real test psychologically for a lot of the players who are going to be, you know, ha- suffering that kind of heartbreak late on in the biggest tournaments of their careers. And then you're having to go back and play away at Brighton the, the next Sunday. You know, it's, it's going to be tricky for a lot of those players when that stage comes and it is going to be fascinating to see how they react because we see the world we see a world cup hangover in a normal season in a normal uh year when the the world cups in the summer and you've got um what like more, more than a but nearly a month then until you're back in action for your club um it's going to be very very different this year you're going to be expected to dive straight back in and that's that's going to be difficult for a lot of people to deal with, both winners and losers. And um, I think those are the ones that you're going to look to and think, oof, how are they going to be able to come back for their clubs and be just as effective as they were beforehand? That that could throw quite a few spanners in the works. Yeah, I think I'd, I'd, I would say the advantage is definitely with the, the, the players that aren't going, um, just because I just think it, it will take a as you rightly say, a kind of mental and physical toll on players. I think Kevin De Bruyne, I remember some quote that stuck with my head, stuck in my head that he said um, the other year saying, you know, the first few games for a Premier League season, you feel great. And then after about a month, you start picking up niggles. And after that, it's just managing your body for the rest of the season. You know, it's all suffering basically to get to the, the finish line after a certain point. And I just think, going over there and playing those games, even if it's only three or four games, um, I think that's going to take a lot out of you. And I just think that, you know, the the fatigue of that coming, and then coming straight back into a programme of football in the Premier League anyway over Christmas um, and going straight back into kind of intense games, it's just got to suit the players who are off because it's not that long a break really in football terms. I don't think they're going to lose a lot of sharpness in those weeks. Um, and I just see it as a benefit. And, you know, again, bringing it back to Wolves, which obviously I'm inclined to do. A lot of our players aren't going. I was thinking, actually, this training camp, there's only really a couple of Portuguese players going from the, from our camp. And so it, it should be a really good opportunity to do some work on the training pitch, maybe get some players back um, and, and go again. So, yeah, I, I'm seeing it as, a, as an advantage for... You know, for those players who are who are going to stick with the clubs, because you'd expect them to be doing you know good level of intensity training. They're not going to be putting their feet up and sitting on sunbeds for two weeks, are they? So, um, well, I hope not anyway. Particularly in our <laughs> position. Um, so yeah, so that I mean that will be interesting, and I really do think we'll reflect on this season at the end as it as as the World Cup being 
you know, a key differential for some teams because I think they'll be big winners and big losers. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And and if that is the assumption, then it looks like Southampton, Crystal Palace, and Leeds are the three best off in terms of lowest percentage of their squad going off to the World Cup. So we'll kind of keep an eye on that and see if they're the ones that kind of come out of the World Cup break looking better than they have thus far. Uh, all right, now let's move on to, you know, actually talking about the World Cup since it's, you know, less than a full week away uh, as we record. We obviously have three representatives uh, from the very same group. <laughs> as soon as the draw was made, I was already worried because most of my football friends are English or Welsh. So uh, not going to be particularly fun for me, but I was just curious how you guys are feeling heading into the tournament and, and where you think your nations will be uh, come the end of the group stage. Um, yeah, well, I mean, it's difficult because there's, I think on paper, would everyone agree that England are the favourites and have the best squad? I mean, I don't know if that's, is that fair? I mean, in our You're group, better than America. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, I would, I would say that, you know, you would expect England to be favourites, but then there's so much baggage um, with England. They always have a habit of, of making, you know, tough work of, of, of things. Uh, they're not generally, as a rule, good in tournaments outside of Europe. Uh, and that, that kind of worries me a bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think they're, they're three tricky ties for England for, for different reasons. I mean, Wales always will raise their game. It's a cup final, really, for Wales, isn't it? I mean, it's their, it's their first World Cup in about 100 years or something. <laughs> like They're playing England, so they're going to be massively up for that. I expect that to be a very tough game. We always have a problem with the US. We always have a problem with the US. I don't, was it the World Cup? What year was it? Kev can probably tell me. 2010, you, I think. The, the yeah. best sporting headline of all time, USA beats England 1-1. Yeah, that was it. You should have, but the thing is, you should have actually won the game. I think you had like Altidore was on playing and like, you know, after you got level, it was just turned into a nightmare England performance. And I just feel like we're still capable of that kind of implosion. And um, I think defensively, there's problems in the England team, you know, and he's got an embarrassment of riches in the sort of midfield and attacking area Southgate. And there's still that feeling he doesn't really know how to use all these players get the best out of it. We've had a couple of pretty good tournaments in terms of results and the where we've got to and it maybe feels like this is going to be a this is going to be the problem tournament for us. But I don't know. I mean like if I take any kind of emotion and feeling out of it, I think well we should beat all of those teams because we've we've got better players. So logic dictates we should win, but I just know it probably won't play out that way. Um there'll be probably a draw in there and now or a narrow defeat and you know it'll probably end up going to the final game. Um, I mean, the, as I said to you, Kev, you know, off air, the big question mark is how good Iran are going to be, because I think we're all looking at each other and then we're thinking, well, will we all beat Iran? Um, you know, and they've had some good results coming into the, the tournament. I said, you know, they beat Uruguay in a friendly, a strong looking Uruguay team, I might add. Um, and I think they were at the World Cup in 2018 and they did very well there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they're not to be discounted. But yeah, I mean, my my expectation is though that England will will probably get through, probably win the group. You know, I'll be looking for them to get two wins out of those three games. Um, but but also, <laughs> I'm just aware that it could all it could all you know be derailed because that's been the experience with England prior to the last two tournaments. Yeah, I mean, as as far as Wales are concerned, for me, just getting to the World Cup was the success um i think there's been i think i think there's been a lot of understandable 
um, pessimism around the World Cup generally and, and negativity because of the location, because of the way it was decided, because of the fact that it's mid-season without any kind of um, build-up. And it's a shame from a Welsh perspective that that has definitely dampened a bit of the enthusiasm because when you qualify for the World Cup for the first time in more than 60 years, you should be going absolutely crazy and it should just be uh, like the biggest event ever but it's it, it's not it it's only now really that we're properly feeling this build up and uh that's a bit of a shame but now that it's actually here um i, I cannot tell you how wales are going to do i really can't my uh opinions on how we'll perform have just varied so much since we qualified uh and since we found out you know which group we're going to be in at the start i thought i'll be honest i thought this was a decent group. I would have, England are the last team I would have wanted to to draw, um, just because it's our first World Cup in more than sixty years. Do we really have to share it with England? Really, you know, it's like can we have something for ourselves for a change? We couldn't have two thousand sixteen to ourselves. We can't have this for ourselves. It's just like we're like the kind of you know the 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 little the little brother or sister getting the hand-me-downs. You know, like, I just want something for myself. I just want to have that one special moment for myself <laughs> without having to face England. But there we go. It's um, It always seems to be that way. We always seem to get drawn against England in uh, uh, in this way. And, you know, that's just something we're going to have to face when we get there. Hopefully, um, in an ideal world, there won't be as much riding on that game because we will have performed well against the US and Iran. But... I really, really do not know how those are going to go. I think they're both tricky in their own ways, despite not being the the toughest um, of fixtures on paper. Um, I think that first game against the US is absolutely enormous, absolutely enormous. If we lose that, then I struggle to see how we qualify from the group. Um, A draw would be okay, but it puts a lot of pressure on the Iran game. A win against the US and I'd be pretty confident of us going through. You know, that's everything is about the USA game. Um, I, I'll, be, I'll be honest, I'm not even like thinking about the England game because it, it it's the US first, then Iran, and then I, I'd love to think that we don't have to take the England game too seriously and there's much less riding on it um, because obviously the last thing you want is to be knocked out of the World Cup by England. You know, you work all this time to get the World Cup you don't want to be knocked out by England. So uh, I'd love it if, um, you know, there was very little other than kind of the usual rivalry riding on that game. Um, but it's it's a bit of an unknown quantity for Wales. A lot of our squads have not been playing regular football this season, including a lot of our key players. Our results since qualifying have been poor, if you look at them, in all honesty. I mean, we've we've... I think in the in the Nations League, we drew one of our group games and lost the rest. There were mitigating factors there. A lot of those games we, we didn't play. We played our reserves because we were prioritising World Cup qualifiers. Um, and there were a lot of games where we should have got points out of it, but we conceded very late goals, notably twice against the Netherlands. Home and away conceded late on. And I was out in Rotterdam when we, we came back from two goals down to draw two all. And then straight from the kickoff in the final minute, the Netherlands scored the winner. It was just like typically Wales. Um, but, you know, there have been some bright sparks, some bright individual performances among those defeats. 
and you're just hoping that those come together. The one thing I will say is the last um, week or so, we've seen some encouraging signs from individual players who maybe we were worried about before. Danny Ward had a very poor start to the season. He's now, I think, conceded one goal in 550 minutes of Premier League action, and that was against Manchester City. So he's, you know, seems to have put, put his early season struggles behind him. Um, Chris Meppham, who's been quite frankly, poor for a lot of years now, um, has suddenly sprung back to life and shown himself to be a half-decent Premier League defender, which is really important because we don't have great strength at the back. Um, you, you've got Aaron Ramsey, who's had so many injury problems, had a very good game for um, for Nice the other night, playing 90 minutes. Gareth Bale, of course, scored for LAFC the other day. Uh, Kiefer Moore scored again. Um, Dan James scored again, which is a real boost because his confidence has not been there. Mm. Uh, Harry Wilson's been coming back. So there are a couple of really promising signs. And if I'm honest, a lot of the players who you look at and say, yeah, they, they don't they don't seem to be doing particularly well for their club size. Um, the players that I'm less worried about, the likes of Connor Roberts, Nico Williams, Joe Roden, um, they always turn up for Wales anyway. You know, they, they, they never let their country down anyway. So... Uh, you could extend that to Brendan Johnson as well at Forest. You know, the players who always do well when they play for Wales, um, regardless of their club form. So I'm not too worried about that. The big question mark for Wales is Joe Allen, um, who was injured while playing for Wales many months ago. And it seems his recovery was was not handled brilliantly by the Swansea medical staff. Um, so he is really fighting to be fit. And it's it's looking, well, it's not looking too promising from his point of view. I know if you're an England fan, you're thinking, well, why why should we be worried about, let's face it, a mid-table championship midfielder in 32-year-old Joe Allen? You know, it's it's not. You would you think there were other players that you needed to be more worried about. But for for Wales, sorry, he's so key to the way we play. We have major weakness at central in central midfield. It is by far and away our weakest position. And Joe Allen is the one player that makes us tick in that area. He is the one that just keeps things going. Um, you know, he's not the same player he was five years ago or six years ago at Euro 2016 when he was named in the team of the tournament. But he's still a, a really important player that protects the defence, keeps the ball moving and allows others around him to, to excel. He, we, we are very reliant on him. And when he's not in the team... Things just don't look anywhere near as good. And I do worry um, how we will cope against, say, the United States when you've got um, the likes of um, Tyler Adams and, and uh, McKinney in midfield, you know, who both can be working very hard um, and putting us under pressure in that area. Without Joe Allen there, we're, we're going to be relying on at least one player from League One, you'd imagine. And that's um, not a good position to be in. Uh, it's. It, I think I'd struggle to see us. I, I just think it, I, I would feel so much more confident of getting out of this group if we had a fit and firing Joe Allen. But since that looks unlikely, I've got to say at the moment, I'm thinking this, this is just going to be a bit too much for us. Well, in theory, one of us has to go through, although as <laughs> Thomas mentioned, it could well be Iran, who have a, a very good firing striker at the moment. Uh, yeah, I'm not particularly optimistic heading into this either. I think much like your feeling of um, wanting Wales to have their own moment outside of this. 
obviously the U.S. and a lot of the support here is kind of modeled after after English support and are huge fans of the Premier League and stuff like that. So similarly, wish we didn't have to do this again. But uh, if we were able to somehow win that one, that would be really impressive. But I'm not particularly optimistic because I think we left two of our best strikers at home. And I'm not particularly a huge fan of the strikers that we ended up taking. I, I much would have rather had Ricardo Pepe than Jesus Ferreira. Uh, even Pifak I probably would have preferred. Josh Sargent, we all saw in the Premier League last year. Was anyone particularly impressed? Um, so, yeah, that's uh, some interesting calls made by Greg Bearhalter. And if we don't make it out of the group, which I'm not expecting we would, that could well be his job. Before the season, my expectation was... Uh, we wouldn't do well in the World Cup. Jesse Marsh wouldn't do well at Leeds. And then that's like the easiest appointment in the history of national teams. Um, maybe maybe uh, Tottenham helped with that a little bit <laughs> that last match before the break. But I doubt Jesse Marsh will be available in like February or March as I was kind of thinking that original plan. But we'll see. I'm similarly not optimistic. I'm similarly a little bit less excited because of the, the teams that we're going up against. Like... I love Gareth Bale. Get to you know I have a soft spot for Swansea, inherently a soft spot for for Wales because of it, with Ben Davis and Joe Roden and our whole Welsh mafia thing we had going on there under Jose. Uh, and obviously, I like a lot of the England players as well. So um, yeah, not if we win, I'm sure I'll be delighted. But I'm not like really like hype going into this particular World Cup. Of course, part of that is the fact that it's in the middle of the year. And part of it is that it's in Qatar and all of the political machinations that went into it. Um, there's now a, a documentary about how Qatar got their World Cup on Netflix. I mean, we all know, but maybe maybe worth a watch as well. But I'm just wondering if that's that's dampening your spirits as well. Guitar, I mentioned you, you already mentioned you weren't excited for other reasons as well. But is that kind of like decreasing the excitement going into this World Cup for you? Yeah, I mean, I think... Um... I'm 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 not upset. I thought I would be annoyed about it disrupting the the standard sort of Premier League season, but I think maybe I'm getting a bit middle-aged and bored in life generally, and so anything new is interesting and therefore good. <laughs> so um I'm I'm keen to I'm I'm interested in it. And I think the fact that my own team has been so poor, I'm actually thankful for a break. Um so as we said before, it kind of the um works that way in your sort of mindset approach to it so um yeah so i'm i'm happy that there's a world cup in in <laughs> in december sounds ridiculous to say uh, just because it's a break from the norm uh obviously then you you know the conversation about should the world cup be happening in qatar probably not really um and there's it never it, it sounds it's always seemed like typical fifa kind of shenanigans going on with, with how it was awarded, there's something off about it. There's various atrocities that seem to have been committed, human rights atrocities in the build-up to this, not taking into account some of the, you know, the general PR around Qatar as a nation. Um, I Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Do you think there is that argument that's valid in that, you know, football is a global sport um, and, you know, it's for everyone? And it, it, if you view it through the lens of, you know, the people of these countries, they don't define their politics necessarily. Um, and so maybe they should have the right to see a World Cup on their doorstep. Um, but I don't want to get too deep into that issue <laughs> um, because I know people will have some very strong opinions about it. But so I, I would say that, yeah, the fact that there's all the negativity around around Qatar and some of their you know politics, that, that will obviously detract from it. But then equally, I suppose, on the flip side of it, it's, it's a way for people to um, express themselves. And I think you'll see that through a lot of teams and the things that the decisions they choose to make about how they express their own views and kind of rally against those things. Um, so it, it could be a, it could be a great World Cup and it becomes a symbol of positivity. Um, and, you know, I think it will be memorable. Whatever happens, it will be a memorable World Cup. And it, I, I think some of the World Cups more recently have been very forgettable. Um, I think the one in Russia was pretty forgettable, if I'm honest, in the in the pantheon of all World Cups. Um, so I, I, I think there's that will be the one thing to come out of this. It will be a World Cup that we remember. Um, so, yeah, so I think maybe I'm up for it more than, more than most people. I, I have absolutely no idea how the kind of political um, uh, controversies which led up to this World Cup are going to impact on the football, if I'm being honest. Um, I don't think it's ideal that um, teams have so little time to prepare before the tournament. That could have some kind of impact. I, maybe teams won't be quite as sharp uh, in the opening games as we're used to seeing. Um, in terms of the event itself, I think it's going to be, you know, like all World Cups, it's going to be very carefully stage managed. It's going to be, um, you know, every, I'm sure everything will go off without a hitch in terms of um, the, the opening ceremonies and the um, fan experiences, etc. even though it's, it's definitely going to be different. I mean, I know a lot of people that are going out there and, um, it's it's you're not going to have the usual drinking culture, the partying. Um, it's it's going to be a lot more, um, uh, I, I guess, soulless is the word. If I'm being honest, I think it's going to feel very very strange um, out there, and and you're not going to get the usual World Cup vibe. That that's for certain. But it's going to be different. It's it's going to be, um, yeah, it's not going to be the usual tournament experience. But that doesn't mean that it's going to be a failure. Um, and I think all World Cups are, event are eventually judged on the pitch rather than off it. Um, you know, one of the great World Cups of all time really was 1978. Uh, when you look back at some of the games that were played down, the fantastic scenes. But that was a World Cup that was characterised by, you know, corruption, a military junta that, that ran Argentina at the time, a murderous dictatorship. Um, you know, it, it was it was unpleasant to say the very least. You know, the backdrop there. You look at someone like, you know, um, 
uh, I, I guess South Africa, on the other hand, everybody who went out to South Africa said what a wonderful country it was, how welcoming everything was and how inspiring the whole event was. But, but from a footballing standpoint, that World Cup was, was absolutely dreadful. I mean, the football played there was the worst that, that, that I can remember uh, in my time watching World Cups. So, you know, the, the success of a World Cup is judged on the pitch and um, that, that'll be no different for Qatar. Um, I just wonder if, you know, in years to come, we, how, how we'll look back at this World Cup because there have been other con controversial World Cups down the years, I think. We probably should look differently at um, Russia in 2018. Now a World Cup where everybody came back saying how wonderful the Russians were and how you know um, how, how it was all scaremongering beforehand and you know we should all change our opinions about the Russians and then a couple of years later they're invading their neighbours with um, no real justification. You know, so um, it'll be interesting to see how we look back at the Qatar World Cup politically as well as in a footballing sense. Yeah, I mean, I will say the absolute disrespect for the Jabulani ball and its crazy wackadoo, <laughs> the asterisk oh, at the gosh. South Africa honestly, World that, Cup. Honestly, like, I mean, there was one player in the entire tournament who understood how Forlan? that and that was Diego Forlan. <laughs> Hit it in the ground. Else was just blasting it in every direction. It was like playing with a beach ball. It was awful, <laughs> awful. I mean, how I'd love to, I'd love if somebody could put a compilation together of all the like shots from distance that went way off target because of how ridiculously designed that ball was. Yeah. I, I, it was funny because before that, every single tournament, people used to brag about, oh, this is the most aerodynamic ball ever. This is the most spherical ball ever. This ball will, you know, it ha has fewer contours than any ball we've ever made before. And then the Chubalani came along and nobody makes those claims anymore. Nobody has ever <laughs> bragged about the the, the the spherical nature of a ball. Everybody accepts, okay, a ball needs imperfections. A ball needs kind of something for the wind to blow into, you know. Um, so, yeah, it, it did kind of change the uh, focus on what makes a good ball anyway. Yeah, everything was in the pursuit of the ultimate goal of making the smoothest thing. And then they did it and they're like, oh, our goal was bad. <laughs> All right, good to know. Uh, yeah, that was quite silly. Although I think Giovan Bronkhorst scored like a ridiculous like 40-yard goal. I think that was that World Cup. But, uh, it was the same final, that one, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. Was that Argentine? I don't, I don't want to go too far out on that one. Um, but uh, I totally agree with, with you guys about some of the, the off-the-pitch stuff. It's going to be weird. The fact that some nations are asking to wear like equality armbands or... Uh, things for human or worker rights and FIFA are the ones telling them no, not even the host nation feels feels a little gross. But as you say, history will kind of define it. And if it's a good tournament on the pitch, I think a lot of people will will forget a lot of the uh, surrounding cultural conversation at the time. And we'll just remember some of the incredible goals and, and moments in the World Cup. <clears throat> Speaking of which, uh, obviously someone's going to win this thing. Uh, who, who do you think are the favorites heading in? Yeah, I mean, I was seen quite a lot of the the squad announcements and that they're very easy they're sort of very enticing to click into and start rummaging through these squads to think about the kind of teams they're going to be putting out and how strong and so many of the teams look good on paper um but it's who's got the most sort of coherent group you know and that that's kind of what i feel that you know watching premier league football that you know so many teams have got great players I mean, I think, well, again, biased, I think Wolves have got a lot of good players, but they're just not a team. There's no semblance of a of a system and um, a style of play, and they're just not effective in, in, in the key areas of the pitch. 
Um, and I think that's that's kind of what you're thinking with international football. And, and I think England are a kind of prime example of that. They've got so many good components, but are they a really kind of slick, well-operating team? I think sometimes it's the teams who have fewer good players, but they're more they're they're better units, um, you know, that, that that can can do well in the tournament. So. I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm thinking because it's outside of Europe, maybe one of the South American teams. I mean, that uh, Messi's going to be very keen with Argentina. Um, this may be his last World Cup, probably. It's definitely Ronaldo's last World Cup, so you'd expect maybe Messi's probably a good chance, and that probably his last realistic chance to win it anyway. So I think they've got quite a good squad, so I can see them doing well. And then I saw Brazil's squad. You know, I think it's top-heavy Brazil. I think they're like England in the sense that they've got some very good midfield players and very good attackers. But I'm not sure about some of their defenders. I felt they should have picked Gabriel from Arsenal. I think they've picked a lot of sort of old guard defenders. I think Danny Alves is still in their still in their squad. I mean, I don't know what's going on there. Um, I think that might that could be their Achilles heel if there is one. But yeah, I don't I don't know if I fancy a European team just maybe because of the conditions and you know. Teams, European teams winning it outside of Europe tend to lean more towards the South American teams. So I think if you were if you were holding a gun to my head right now, I would probably go Brazil. Um, yeah, but it's hard to discount some of the heavyweights. But as I say, I think, yeah, I'm leaning more outside of Europe because the World Cup is outside of Europe. I think I've backed Brazil to win the World Cup pretty much every single time since 2002. <laughs> And every single time they they failed, um, sometimes quite spectacularly. So I'm again going to say Brazil, and I will again take the blame from any angry Brazilians um, if they exit in the group stage or whatever, um, because I will have jinxed them. Um, I think if you look at the squads, Brazil's looks enticing. Um, I mean, as Thomas said, when it's outside the um, of Europe, you you look to the South American teams and think they've got a bit more of a chance. Of winning it um, than than if it's held in Europe for some reason I have no idea why that is but and you'd look at Brazil probably they've got so many good attacking players they've got that solidity in midfield don't think their defence looks that, that looks as good but it's you know it's still decent um, certainly not catastrophic and you're thinking yeah they've they've got a chance if they can really get it right. And that, that's the big question. It's which team really clicks in this World Cup. Um, t- Squad-wise, I'd still argue that possibly France have the strongest squad um, when you look at some of the individuals there. But we've seen, you know, over the last few years how a brilliant squad doesn't necessarily lead to a brilliant side. I mean, even when they won it in, Euro- in, in 2018, was that squad really playing to its full potential? I, I'd argue probably not. You know, I, th- I thought it was a good team, but it, it, it wasn't um, quite excelling to the levels it could have when you look at the, the individual quality there. Um, and and I, ju- I just, after what happened in the Euros with France, I just doubt if, if they've got what it takes to, to win another World Cup. So I'm probably looking at Brazil or Argentina again. But but without kind of being convinced by any of them, I think it's um, it's it's a World Cup where it looks quite open just because nobody's quite got that real wow factor um, heading into it. And I think we're waiting to be shocked. That we're waiting for one team to just turn up and surprise everybody. Um, 
I, I'll be honest, if, if we're looking for kind of dark horses, I would look possibly to the Netherlands. Um, I think they've got some good young players there. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think they've been back in a major to- in the World Cup again. I, I just think there may be something there that could see them go far in the competition, um, at least to the semi-finals. I'm not convinced they'll win it, but they, they, they're possibly my candidate for, for the Dark Horses um, um, award then. Mm. I would certainly enjoy that. Uh, no, no, Jeannie Winyoldum is obviously a disappointment. And uh, De Jong not really turning into the player that we expected is a, is a bit of a bummer. But that would be very cool if that worked out. Also, I totally agree with your France thing. I think no Conte or Pogba is going to kind of... Uh, limit them, despite uh, people not being overly impressed with Pogba's second stint at Manchester United. He obviously plays a really big role for for uh, France there. <clears throat> and uh, I totally agree. Brazil and Argentina are probably, probably right up there. Also agree that it doesn't seem to be a dominant favorite. It just would be a cool story if Messi managed to win one on his way out, and it's probably his last World Cup. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to go the other way, though, because uh, you, you guys were making points earlier about how there are no friendlies in the build-up to this competition to really get get things going. So I'm going to look a little bit towards Germany, since half of their team plays for the same club team anyway at Bayern Munich. Maybe that would give them that like early hot start to build momentum and really keep them going the whole way. I think the big question is, who's the striker going to be? Do you trust Mukoko, like, <laughs> what is he, like 17 years old, to lead the line, even though he's obviously a uh, really impressive talent and has been performing highly? Um, do you play Muller as like a false nine? There's a lot of interesting stuff there, but in terms of like the squad and the familiarity a lot of them have with each other, uh, really wouldn't be surprised if if they start well, and then we'll see if if they're able to back it up. So uh, I'll I'll stump for the one uh, European nation there, but I, I totally agree. I don't think there's a clear favorite running into this tournament the way that there typically has been in the past. All right, we'll take a break from the World Cup talk and then be back with questions for each of our guests. All right, and we are back. Thomas, we'll start off with you. I'm sorry we're, we're dragging you back to club football, kicking and screaming. But oh. the news could be good. Obviously, uh, you're hiring Julian Lopetegui. I get it wrong every time. You know who I'm talking about. Um, Lopet- <laughs> just... L- L- it's Lopetegui. Got it. You're the one that also taught me Bruno Lage, so uh, <laughs> I will fully trust you on that. Um, I'm just wondering, heading into this break, like you said, is it being viewed as a positive thing? Like, things have been rough, but we're getting this break. We're coming back with a manager just about in the January window um, where you can add reinforcements and attack one would presume. Is that kind of the, is it more excitement about what could be or more dread about, you know, currently being last on the table? Uh, It's a mixture of both. I mean, there's definitely dread (laughs) about where we are. I think we're seeing it as something we needed this. You know, we we need something massive to change or we're going to be in a lot of trouble. Well, we are in a lot of trouble, but, you know, we're going to be facing the ultimate trouble, which is relegation, basically. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think this we're viewing as this is the perfect jumping off point for a complete turnaround. You know, he's now got a month to work with the lion's share of our squad to get his ideas across to them. Um, and then also, hopefully, we're going to get some players back. You know, Diego Costa's just finished his three-game ban. Raul Jimenez is still hoping to go to the World Cup with Mexico. But either way, you would hope he's he's fit and, you know, available for selection um, at the other end of the World Cup, whether he goes with Mexico or not. Uh, and then we're heading into January, where presumably 
this manager who who comes with a you know a, a pretty good reputation um you know he must have been promised that he will be backed in the market because i don't think he'd stake his reputation on the on a group of players who are bottom of the premier league and can't you know looking capable of beating anyone at present so he must have been told that he's going to be backed in january so i think there's a there's a feeling of yes this is it now we're going to we're going to throw everything we've got at it uh, to try and stay in the Premier League, which I, I still feel with the group of players we've got, and and you know with a couple of smart additions and a coherent plan and the right tactics, I think I think we can turn it around. I don't think we're going to do a Newcastle and storm halfway up the table, but um, I would hope we'd be able to get closer into that group of teams ahead of us. You know, your Bournemouths, your Everton's, uh, you know, Southampton, Forest. You're looking at teams like that and thinking, well, with the coach we've got now and. I think we've got better players on paper than than some of those teams. You think, kind of, you know, in a foot race, we could just get a couple of results. We we could beat them to the finish. Um, so that's the feeling, you know. Just just hopefully the coach comes with good ideas, can get them playing coherently, get a few players in and stay up. And that's that's all this season is about now. It's um, it's all or nothing. Stay up or complete disaster. Got it. Well, hopefully things do turn around for you there, <clears throat> and then get to. Uh, I was going to ask about the weird uh, fracas between Russell Martin and the, the some members of the Walsh FA, but we'll skip that. Let's let's just catch everyone up because obviously uh, it's been a few years since you've been up in the Premier League, but Swansea got quite quite the kind of cult following among neutrals during those Swansea Lona days. So, just what's kind of happening at, at Swansea lately, and is there any faith that this year might be the year that you're going to uh, get that spot back in the Premier League? Um, well, the people who fell in love with Swansea for our um, beautiful football back then will be happy to know that that style of football is back. We're, we're possession-based to the absolute max. Um, it's all pass and move, um, and it, it it can be absolutely lovely to watch. Um, but but at the back, we're an absolute train wreck at the moment. Um, so it's um, I, I think this season's all been about trying to find the balance, trying and failing a lot of the time to find the balance between, you know, exciting attacking football and defensive competency at the back. And um, we've not always managed to find that balance. We started the season off very poorly, then went on a really good run of results, um, kept winning after winning after winning, a lot of comebacks too, which is something that we're, we're not used to seeing from Swansea, but we've taken more points from losing positions this season than any side in the division. Um, uh, but in the last few weeks, we've just drawn a lot of games. It's five games without a win now. Um, we're still level on points with, um, I think, Millwall in sixth. Um, so there's every chance that we can make the playoffs. But the thing with the championship this season is it's so wide open. I mean, there's, there are no standout teams apart from possibly Burnley. And everybody else looks pretty average, if I'm being honest. And everybody has their flaws. So... Who knows really what who's and it's up to it's wide open and anybody really can stake a claim for a playoff spot if they can get a good run going in the second half of the season. And Swansea are definitely in that mix. Um, it's just a question of can they get things right um, to to put that run together really. Um, but but this, I think there are probably a dozen clubs in the championship speaking in the same terms really. The one thing I'll say about the Swans is if you've been watching our games this season other than the nil-nil draw away against Huddersfield, where Huddersfield just parked the bus yesterday and um, we couldn't break through. 
apart from that match, you will have been entertained because um, we are so crazy to watch. I mean, we are we we've conceded first in um, I think seven of our last ten games. Um, we have picked up more points in the final fifteen minutes than any other team in the division. But only Burnley have conceded more points in the final 15 minutes of games this season. So there's a lot of late action going both ways. Um, and you know, we're score we're scoring a lot of goals. A lot of our football is is very nice to watch. A lot of comebacks, both for and against. Um, it's all just a little bit crazy. Um, you know, we're we're very, very loose at the back and give the opposition chances when they probably don't deserve them. Um, and it's it's just all a bit wild and crazy. It's it's fun to watch, but it's also absolutely mad and totally unpredictable. But that's kind of the championship at the moment. It's a league that's um, been pretty, yeah, been been through a bit of a tough time recently with financial troubles, the pandemic. I think um, parachute payments have had a detrimental effect on the competition over recent years, and I think it's just ended up now in this situation where nobody's amazing but nobody's terrible either and it, it absolutely anything can happen from week to week even by championship standards this season is utterly crazy and so, it's so difficult to predict kind of sounds like the world cup then no no super clear favorites everybody kind of has has some <laughs> shot at it so <laughs> Once again, hopefully this is the year. It, me and Swansea getting promoted is you and Brazil in World Cups. Keep predicting it. Keeps not happening, but then keep predicting it anyway. Um, <laughs> so hopefully you can do that. Uh, now kind of uh, switching back to World Cup mode before we head out of here. I uh, was just curious, uh, the player for your country that you think neutral should most keep an eye on, and then maybe also uh, throw in a, a surprise cut that you thought would be able to, to make it on the plane that just missed out. I'm really keen to see what Gareth Southgate does with James Madison. I know there was already a lot of discussion over here about whether he was going to make the squad, you know, which seems ridiculous with the the, the goals and assists and general all-round play. Um, but I'm interested to see if he's integrated into the actual team or whether he's just been taken so Gareth doesn't get in trouble. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm really keen. I think if he gets on the pitch, he could be a real difference maker. Um, I think he's a good, intelligent player, um, and I think he's got big moments in him. So I, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to seeing if, if, if he gets on the pitch, what, what he can do for England. And I think he could help us bridge that gap where you know sometimes there's a lot of good builder, but not necessarily the, the cut through uh, in, the, in the key moments. So I'm, I'm going to back James Madison to do quite well. Um, I'm sorry, what was the second question? What a player who hasn't been picked who yeah, who, who, you, who you just kind of like assumed was going to be on the plane, and then you look at the list and you're like, wait a second. Yeah. Oh, I don't know really. I mean, I suppose now with a bit of hindsight, Ivan Tony maybe. Um, I thought he might get in just on his penalty prowess alone, because ultimately, probably as with most tournaments with England, it probably will come to penalties. And you think a guy who never misses is probably quite handy to have in the old Arsenal. So I thought maybe he might edge Callum Wilson out. Um, and then also you've got, you know, Callum Wilson's injury record. You think, well, is he going to, you know, do it? But I mean, whoever's in that role is basically playing second fiddle to Harry Kane. And even if Harry Kane is subbed off, you think it would probably be for, you know, an, another wide player or someone like that. So I, I wonder how many minutes that, that forward's going to get. So, yeah, maybe 
maybe Ivan Tony was was quite unlucky. Um, I was quite surprised James Ward-Prowse didn't make it um, as well. Conor Gallagher was a bit of a surprise pick for me. Has he been brilliant for Chelsea this season? I'm not sure, but I think as people have said, Gareth Southgate likes to promote from within, and, and Gallagher came through the system, you know, into 21s very well. So maybe there's something there with that one. Um, but yeah, yeah, maybe, um, yeah, maybe Ivan Tony. I think particularly after his goals against Man City. From Wales's point of view, the one that I'm really hoping has a big tournament is Nico Williams. Um, Still only 21 years old, um, but going to his second major tournament now. Um, he hasn't had the ideal start at, at Nottingham Forest. I think he's been hard done by really by the sheer volume of players that have been brought in there. But I, I thought that was going to be a good move for him, but in the end, he's competing against two two wing backs who've been brought in um, to um, since he signed, and um, it's not really worked out for him there. But when he plays for Wales, he's just a major, major attacking influence. I mean, Wales' strength is in our speed. We've got real natural athletes in the team. You're looking at people like Nico Williams, like uh, Dan James, like um, Brendan Johnson, who are just fast. You know, they're, they're good footballers, but they're fast. Um, and Nico Williams, he's got that speed, but he's, but he's also got that um, end product as well. He can come up with a really good cross. He can score from 25 yards. He's got those moments of magic in his locker. And I think this uh, this tournament with, you know, Gareth Bale is not the player he once was. Aaron Ramsey, uh, it, it, just fitness-wise, can't really, you know, we don't really know what we're going to get from him. Um, other players you're wondering about form, etc. I'm just looking at Nico Williams playing as a wing-back, getting the freedom down the wing. I think he can really do some damage if, um, if given the chance. And if he's on form, uh, I think he's going to be a real outlet for us, and we're going to be looking for him time and time again. So um, I think I think it could, I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on those young shoulders. In terms of surprise omissions, there weren't any really. I mean, Page made it very very clear from the start that he was going to be loyal to the um, players who have been part of the squad throughout, even the ones who haven't played really. That includes Chris Gunter, who's now playing for Wimbledon in League Two. I mean, if it was based on if, if this squad was being picked based on um, footballing merit and form, then there's no way Chris Gunter would, would have made this squad or any of any squad for the last few years. But um, he's in there because of his press, um, his um, um, what's the English word, uh, his presence um, in the squad and the personality and the, and the fact that he's, you know, a bit of an elder statesman there, a bit like Danny Alves, I guess, for um, for Brazil, that's the only time you'll ever hear Chris Gunter and Dani Alves mentioned in the same sentence. But there we go. <laughs> um, it's you know, I I think if there's one player, but if there's one player that people thought may be able to sneak in there um, at at the death, and uh, certainly a lot of Swansea fans were arguing for it, it's Ollie Cooper, mm. um, who's broken into the Swansea side this uh, season. Looks like an exciting young player, very energetic, hardworking, attacking midfielder. Um, but, you know, I don't think it was a major surprise that he was left out of the main squad. He's now been taken um, kind of just to get a bit of experience. He's not part of the squad itself, but he'll be involved in the training sessions, etc. Um, I think that'll be good for his development. I don't think he would have played... Uh, had he been picked in the in the squad anyway, so I I, I think this is still a, a good result for him and something that'll give him a boost. I know some Swansea fans are still 
um, a bit sore about the fact that he was uh, omitted from the squad, but he, he's yet to receive a call-up because it's only this season that he's really made the breakthrough with the, in the Championship. Um, it wasn't a major surprise that um, Page has, has stuck with what the players he knows. Um, I just hope that you know that that decision doesn't leave us with a stale squad and doesn't leave us looking back uh, in years to come and thinking, oh, what if one or two of these players on the outside had been given a bit more of a chance? Um, but like I said, no real surprises from Wales's point of view. Got it. I, I kind of mentioned it at the start of the show, but it was a little surprise that both Pifak uh, and um, Ricardo Pepe both both missed out on the U.S. national team one, but we'll see. As for players to watch, um, Christian Pulisic basically never plays in the Premier League anyway, so maybe 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 look for him. Uh, also, obviously, the, the big story is in goal, um, with Matt Turner uh, being pretty much the, the obvious starter there, despite not playing the sport till he was like 15 or 16, if memory serves. Um, I think he joined Arsenal in the summer and is, is kind of back up there but but really curious to see how he does obviously america has a pretty pretty long lineage of pretty good goalkeepers and if if america could find another one now having kind of missed out for the past few uh like mini generations i think that could that could really turn things around for this team uh but we'll end things there thanks so much to both of you for coming on if you want to tell folks where they can find you now be a great time yeah thanks for having me on again guys uh yeah as if you want to read anything about wolves I uh, don't know why you would, <laughs> unless you're a Wolves fan. I'm a bask in the misery right now. Um, but yeah, if you if your team's playing Wolves after the break, um, you know we do previews and match reports. Uh, so there's plenty, there's plenty of lively discussion going on there. I'm sure there'll be plenty of chat about the World Cup while that's happening. So yeah, check it out at wolvesblog.com, or you can get me at Twitter at wolvesblog or on facebook.com forward slash wolvesblog. Yeah, thanks for having me on again. Uh, my name is Gittas Willen, and you can find me on Twitter at Gittas Willen. Uh, if you want to hear more Swansea-based content, you can go to the Jackass podcast at the Jackcast on Twitter. Yeah, and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. You can find the show at EPL Roundtable, uh, you know, as long as Twitter still exists. Um, and you can find the show by searching EPL Roundtable on any of your podcast services. Uh, massive thanks to these two for coming on. We are now going to hit about a month-long break. No World Cup coverage from us here, um, but I'm sure you can find other stuff. I'm sure there's EPL Index stuff that'll be going on. If you're looking for club football from Wolves or Swans, you can't obviously recommend either of these two's work highly enough. Uh, so be sure to check them out or or their sites, respectively. Um, but yeah, everyone have a wonderful World Cup. We'll see you after Christmas. Thanks to these two for joining me today. And folks at home, we hope you keep listening. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.